Welcome to the Drivable Podcast. I'm Ali Akbarian and over there is Brad Williams. And today we're talking about the process of regaining your license following a C5 injury with Trent. Trent has been through an extreme process to gain independence in driving again. So we're talking to him about driving a van from his wheelchair, high level controls and much, much more. So I'm really excited to you know get into this and unpack it all with Trent, talk about the uh, lessons and the OTs and all of that stuff and everything that we need to know. So Brad, are you ready for another awesome episode? Yeah, this one's going to be great. I'd love these high end control ones because we can learn so much. So yeah, let's get it underway. Yeah, there's so much to them. So yeah, let's do it. Welcome to the Drive Able Podcast, where each episode you get to listen to two of Australia's leading professionals in the area of driving and community mobility for people with disabilities. In each episode, they interview drivers, carers, and industry experts and share the insider's guide to driving with a disability. Here are your hosts, Brad and Ollie. Hi everyone, I'm really excited to get into today's interview, but before we get started, we just want to do a quick shout out to our sponsors who make this show possible, Mobility Engineering and Williams OT. This show takes time and money to put together and we're forever grateful for their passion for our industry. Okay, enough with the business, let's get into the interview. Today, we have Trent. Trent, thanks very much for joining us, how are you? I'm good, thanks, thanks for having me. We always start with the same question with everybody. We want you to introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about your disability. Yep, so my name's Trent. Um, I live in South Australia, down in the southeast of the state, down towards Mount Gambier, which is around uh, three hours from Adelaide. Um, yeah, I grew up here, always lived in the country, um, liked the lifestyle and then I have a, uh, around about 10 years ago, I had a acquired um, disability, a spinal cord injury. So um, that was a sporting injury, um, which my injury level was at around C5. Um, I got a little bit of C6 movement, but I think I'm classed as a C5, um, complete quadriplegic. Um, and yeah, so still down living in the country, um, use a predominantly a electric wheelchair to to get around. Although I do also have a manual chair, um, and yeah, living in my own house and doing all right still. So yeah. Did Can you I want ask... to talk to us about the the actual you know sporting incident? Is yeah. that something that we can unpack? Is what yeah. what happened to you? Yeah, that's fine. Um, so I got my injury, like I said, around 10 years ago. It was actually on my birthday, on my 21st birthday. Mm. I was um, playing uh, Australian rural football um, just for my local team. And it was just an unfortunate tackle that, you know, went a little bit um, sideways and ended up landing on my head. Um, so, yeah, uh, Virtually straight away, I knew there was something wrong. Um, couldn't feel anything, like virtually my whole body, obviously couldn't move anything. Um, so, yeah, that involved waiting around for the ambulance to come and then a long process to get taken from the ground and then up to Adelaide where 
I uh, spent 12 months all up around 12 months in hospital and then in rehab before I could come home. So that was a bit of a bit of a journey to get back here. But um, yeah, so it was a it was a sporting injury. Um, but I think even though it was obviously bad, but in a way it was I was lucky to have the community support um, and the support of the you know all the, the whole football community and Everyone was always really good to me, so yeah, I was lucky there. When you play, when you play football, Aussie rules football, is this something that is um, uh, a known consequence? No, like there was. I mean, yeah, there is the odd the odd injury. Like, I mean, it's the same as anything. As people get injured, you know, uh, driving cars, jumping into poles. It's yeah. just an unfortunate incident that happened. Um, I think there probably is a, a few injuries a year, maybe, but um, it's it's pretty rare. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't like um, the reason why I was saying that was more along the lines of, you know, do people kind of like know what to do in that code if something like this happens? Um, like, were you cared for immediately because people were like, "Oh, okay, this is this kind of injury sort of thing." Yeah. Um, so our our local trainer, he. I think he was like a, a um, ambulance volunteer too. So, yeah. you know, I think they did the initial assessment. So they kind of knew there was something, um, you know, yeah, pretty yeah. serious um, out of the ordinary. So, yeah, then the ones were just waiting around for the ambulance and they did everything. And when you say you're living in the um, regional area, um, are you living like on a farm, on a property or, um, or like just in a community? Yeah, in a in a small town, um, yeah. in a community. Yeah, so not not out on a farm. Um, yeah, you know, okay. the town's around two thousand people, so it's it's fairly small. And were you driving um, at that time? Yeah, so I was twenty one. I had my full license, um, working as a tradesman. Um, so yeah, driving around was obviously a big part of of getting from A to B in the country. There's no public transport. Um, really so yeah, and what was, trade were you doing i was an electrician yeah okay so let's let's go to immediately after the accident you said you had 12 months in in rehab what what was i mean what was that like for a bit of insight and then what kind of things did you face when you first got home um yeah so initially when i went to adelaide it was about two weeks two and a half weeks in um ICU, um, had to be intubated um, and then, so I spent a few weeks in there and then eventually made my way out to what's called Hampstead Rehab, which was just the spinal cord rehab facility. That was after about a month and a half probably. Um, and then, yeah, it's just, it was rehab. And then the last, probably uh, last two months I was, more on waiting for my home renovations. Um, at the time of my injury, I was living just in a share house with some friends. Um, but after my injury, my parents got their house modified with a, you know, we had a bathroom built onto the house, ramp, uh, things like that, just to make it accessible for me. Um, so the last part of rehab was, it was more around, um, yeah, getting my, getting my house ready. Um, so I couldn't leave home straight away. 
trend. Um, was that was that NDIS era? Uh, no, this was before NDIS. So um, I can't actually remember the disability SA at that. Yeah, point. it was like some part of it was through disability SA, but others was also we just funded it ourselves because the you know what they wanted to do wasn't really going to work. Um, it was just better for us to to do. Um, so your parents we were. were providing, um, I guess, the support at that time. They were rallying around you and so on. Uh, yeah, not personal care support, but yeah, everything else. Um, when I when I left hospital, I had carers and stuff like that. They could help me out straight away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of support, like I said, I was lucky to have the community and. Um, well, not not just the local community, but also the wider football community, um, and also yeah, family and friends. So, because this is we're a driving podcast, what was it like when you first got home from a mobility point of view in regards to getting out and about and so forth? Was that taken into account in your, as part of your discharge, or or when when did that come into a, into the frame? Yeah, like I said, in the country, there's no really public transport, so. And where my parents actually lived was it was out of out of the main town, um, so it was fifteen minutes away from from Kingston. So um, yeah, I had to. When I first left hospital, we got a um, an older adaptable uh, adaptive vehicle that we just got from a friend um, or someone who knew someone, um, but. Before I left, uh, before I left rehab, we had purchased a, a um, accessible vehicle from from Melbourne that I could take my wheelchair straight into. Um, so I just went in the back of that, and then we could, you know, move around in that. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a big consideration of going home. Well, that's really good that you were um, doing that sort of in the hospital and considering the the transport side of things. With the um, accessible vehicle from Melbourne, what was that? Was it like a van where you got in the back and was driven around or did you get straight into driving? No, it was a Kia Carnival um, where, you know, the um, back of the car comes up and then I just go in in a ramp and then sit in the, um, in the middle back seat virtually. Um, and how was and that, I'll, like, I guess mentally and, and just get, because you were driving yeah, before I, that, right? Yeah, I was driving before that, yeah. Yeah, so um, how did you sort of cop sitting in the back all of a sudden and in the wheelchair and in that kind of booty area? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I never really thought about that. Um, yeah, okay. To be honest, it was probably, you know, not the, not the worst thing to come out yeah. of everything. Yeah, I'm yeah. just in the back seat. But, um, yeah, that was, it was good to, you know, have the vehicle and um, be able to get out of about because it's just a, something that you need, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds good. And so when did you start to think about then getting back into drive? What, what frustrations were you having, first of all? What what frustrations were you having with mobility at that point of time, getting out and about in the community? Was it relying on people or, or what kind of things were you struggling with at that point? Yeah, so a bit further down the track, I moved into my own house in um away from my parents. So I was just living by myself. Um, and I have carers that come in and 
come in and help with personal care and things like that. But, um, you know, especially when the weather's bad and or it's really hot or raining and stuff like that, and you might want to go see some of your friends or go somewhere, you can't just jump in the car and go. You have to either organise a carer to drive your car or bring one of your mates and ask them to come pick you up, which is, you know, it's not always the best thing. You prefer to be able to do things independently. Um, so that was definitely a frustration. And just to be able to get around, you know, independently by yourself when you want, it was something that, uh, you know, it was probably the next thing that I was really looking forward to trying to do. Um, so that was, that was probably about four years ago or five years ago that I really started to wanted to, to pursue that goal of being able to drive independently. So what was the process that you went through then? So where, how did you get the, get the ball rolling? Yeah, it was actually, um, I've been talking about it with people and then one of the driving OTs was coming down locally and I just sent them a message. And um, yeah, we just, I think the most important thing is just to really just start somewhere because it's such a big process and it can be a bit overwhelming in how to do it. But, you know, just touching base with a with someone that knows the system and knows where to start, that was the most important thing. And then from there, we just did little assessments and, you know, we just started working out what I might need and how to go about it, who, who I need to, who I need to talk to. And then, you know, that just got the ball rolling and then it just progressed from there until, yeah, we got to the end goal eventually. So when, when you first did get started, was that NDIS era? Yes, that would have been, that would have been about 2018, I think. Yeah. 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 So I, was, um, I was in the NDIS then, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, 2018, I don't reckon there was an option for a vehicle coming to Adelaide or South Australia at that point of time. So I reckon we've, we've done an interview with uh, Total Ability uh, before and uh, had a chat with Paul and he's got a, he's got a, um, a van that comes around uh, Australia um, nowadays, but I don't think that was available in 2018. What process did you have to go through? Did you have yeah. local assessments or did you have to travel? Um, so I had a local assessment first. Like I said, there was someone coming through um, down our town. So I had a local assessment. And then I think I did meet up with the total ability van in Adelaide. So I went to Adelaide, did a bit of an assessment. Um, I, I actually had a drive up there because I got a um, I got a temporary license just to see kind of what I needed. Um, and then you know we formulated a bit of a plan. Uh, I think we might have even put in application to the NDIS can't quite remember now um you know with what controls I need and then I also started exploring different options for hand controls um from different companies to see what I liked did you uh, go, sorry did you say you, I'll go on you first. go Ali come on you go I was going to say did you go um did you say you went somewhere else to trial as well or the yeah so that 
the I think it was the van came to you. Yeah, the van came to Adelaide, and then I also went. um, So then, by this stage, you know, I really wanted to drive. So then I went to Sydney um, to visit um, PME, which is a a a company that does hand controls and. like the high-end hand controls? Yeah, high-end hand controls. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think we had um, Nick Thiago had that from PME, went there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, um, that's true. Yep. Yeah, so I'd seen some of their stuff online and like and liked um, how it looked and how, how it controlled. So I went to PME and seen how to chat with um, the engineers and what they can do. And, um, yeah, then I started going down... Um, you know, I wanted their stuff because it was, um, I feel like it suited me, suited me best. So, yeah. They've been doing it for years, haven't they? Haven't they? So, you know, you, they know what they're talking about. When you go and have a chat to them, um, they seem to have a solution for everything. They know what they're doing there at PME. So um, you went, you went, so you had to travel to Sydney and uh, tested it out at their place. Is that what you did? Is that yep. the process yeah. you went So, through? yeah, I went to Sydney um and then you know had a look at the hand controls I, then i think we organized like a um a occupational therapist from melbourne he kind of i think he contracts to pme so he was going back up there so then i went back to sydney another time and actually drove a car with the hand controls um so that was they have a van set up with the hand controls in there. Um, so then I had a bit of a drive in a like a temporary setup. It wasn't, you know, wasn't specifically to my needs, but um, the van was set up so I could drive it. And then just to see how I could control the vehicle, um, what I might need, what sort of hand um, adaptions for grips and things like that to actually make sure that I could drive. And then once the occupational therapist was happy that, yep, you, you can drive, you're gonna be able to control a vehicle safely, then I could do, do my formal application to the NDIS. Um, Cause they needed proof from a, an occupational therapist, I think that I could safely control a vehicle before I could actually um, apply for the funding. How, how long have you been going at this stage? How long has it taken to get to that point, do you reckon? Uh, Just a rough would, case. Yeah, it would have been 12 months at least and probably two trips to Sydney maybe. So, and then from that point, once the application went in for funding, is it was it a, an easy tick of approval? Um, we know that we've done this interview a few times with people. Um, you can go back and listen to a few of the other podcasts it's not always easy to get the tick of approval from uh, from the NDIS. Did that? Did you have to go through a few hoops and? Um, yeah, there was a. Hoops? Yeah, so it probably it would probably would have been twelve months, I reckon, waiting for the approval from the actual NDIS. Um, it was a really it was a long process, and there was a few tweaks that we had to do to the. Um, tweaks that we had to do to the application. Um, I was sending letters to my MP, just, you know, hassling everyone that I could get hold of to try and put in a good word for me, um, which might have helped. I don't know, I got there in the end. But um, 
yeah, so that was just a, it was a long process, and this was probably this was probably in 2018 or over not 2018 and 19. Um, yeah, it took a long time, and then you know you lodge your application, you don't really know if you've done it, like if they're going to say yes, um, and then it's just a a really long waiting period. Um, I had a few because I'm in the country. Um, there's no public transport or anything like that. So, you know, for work options and things like that, um, it was, but we were pretty confident that we were going to get it eventually um, because, um, yeah, there's not really any other options for transport or independence for myself. Um, but, yeah, it's just a, it's a long process. It's a, the, the two years is... Um actually pretty consistent so i don't think the uh <laughs> i don't yeah. think the uh, mp letters helped you by the sounds of things because yeah. um because basically everybody that i've spoken to on this podcast we've spoken to on this podcast that's gone for a high-end thing takes two years yeah so, um, so it sounds like that's um yeah it seems like that seems to be the the process you know by the time you have to i guess you have to fly and go here and there and make appointments and all that it just takes time so um yeah it does take time and it takes a bit longer too because i'm in the country like um, yeah. if i had appointments in adelaide or if i was in sydney it'd be a lot easier you know you can just easily go to um go to pme whenever yeah, whenever yeah, you yeah, need yeah. it instead of having to you know it's like yeah it takes a lot of time so how then you just briefly mentioned employment that was something i was interested in talking to you about um so you said that um when you first came back from hospital there wasn't any ndis so you didn't have as much sort of support as let's say you might have now um and so did did you need to sort of you know get up and start earning some money and and like how what did you need to do around that and how did you approach that because you were a tradie and i'm guessing that kind of couldn't go ahead any further. Um, and yeah. so, or, or could it? Like, what happened there? Yeah, so, well, how I was working before, obviously, I couldn't do it. I was an electrician, um, you know, so that was out, that was off the table. Um, and before NDIS, um, there's definitely out-of-pocket expenses, like I said, for um, how like we, we paid for... We paid for the conversion of my first vehicle. Um, I'm not sure if they would pay for that now. Um, so we paid for that. We also paid for a bathroom onto, onto my house, um, which was a lot, a lot of, like I said, a lot of that was through um, community fundraising too. Like without that, I probably, I don't know what I would have done. It would have been hard. Um, and so, since the NDIS come in, it's definitely taken a lot of those out-of-pocket expenses away, even just for like um, consumables that I need for my everyday life. Like I can, I get a lot more funding for that now, um, which is good. Um, so with employment-wise, I, I started working for the business where I was um, working previously in their office, um, just doing uh, invoicing and quoting and things like that. Um, which I still currently do now. So they've been really good to me and keeping me um, keeping me on the books and um, giving me work. Like, um, you know, within the first, oh, it's probably a couple of years, I started doing that. Um, yeah. Is there, is, do you, do you, uh, the, what, for, 
<laughs> the thing I was thinking was, do you miss doing electrical work? And do you think you could be an electrician in a wheelchair? Um, probably not. No, no? But I used to, I used to like doing it. Yeah. And, um, you know, other, other plans I had in the future, you know, it was all more involved in a manual, manual type work as a lot of things are in the country. Um, which, you know, I was planning on starting to work in the family business, which was in the, the fishing industry. So obviously couldn't really do that. Um, so yeah, I had to rearrange a few things. I was going to say, actually, um, when you mentioned Kingston, I recently over um, January, I drove across the, the country from Sydney to Perth and um, we stopped in at Kingston. It's a beautiful area and lots of seafood. So um, yeah. So yeah. Yep. So you got yeah, my parent, my my family's in the fishing industry, so that was my plan, but obviously it didn't quite work out, but that's right. Yeah. Home okay. to the big lobster. Yeah, yeah that's, that's it. Right. Larry, yeah, Larry the lobster or something yeah. like that. Yeah, Larry the lobster. Larry the lobster. Yeah, Larry the lobster. lobster. The very funky uh, looking so, place. <laughs> well, so when did, you, when did you know, or when did it feel like you could drive? When, when, when was that turning point where you went, I, I've got this and I know that I'm going to be able to, to drive and and really get going yeah it was probably that when i first went to sydney and i test drove some of their controls um you know i felt i felt pretty comfortable and picked that up pretty quick and i was driving around like you know some hilly hilly areas um there was some traffic around so I felt, you know, like after that, I felt pretty comfortable that I'm going to be able to like do this independently. And then also because they, they're, you know, a pretty big business with a lot of conversions going on. Um, I could see some of the other stuff that they'd done and how it would work for me because I'd done a lot of research into it beforehand, trying to find um, people with my injury that had, driven and back then there wasn't really that much stuff like even now it's changed a lot in Australia <laughs> so it was hard to um it was hard to see other people with a injury similar to mine that were driving from a wheelchair because I can't transfer you yeah. not, not not blowing our own trumpet but that's exactly why we're doing this podcast and uh, yeah. we really thank you for coming on and, and sharing your story because that's that's exactly why we're here uh is to share those stories so people can learn from other people and go yeah maybe i can do that as well so yeah. uh, we really thank you for do it, coming on um wait so you you had to buy your own car you had to buy your own van because the ndis don't purchase that bit for you yeah yep so yeah once i had approval and um ndis were gonna tick off on the conversions and yeah i purchased a uh, Volkswagen multivan. Yep. Um, and then that is the car that, that's generally the car that I think they um, they do. Is it like yeah. one of those drop floor self-drive self, uh, self conversions that you go up the back or the side? I go in the side, yeah. yeah drive, okay. from my, drive from my wheelchair, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. With, yeah, so with um, the driving, just, um, just quickly before we go on to the next part, with the driving, when you first sort of gave it a go, um, did you, because you had driven before, did you find it um, like the the skill of driving, if that makes sense? Like I know how to brake and I know how to accelerate. Was that part easy or did you finally have to kind of reload the whole thing? Um, you, I mean, you still got your road sense. 
because it probably it would have been seven or eight years since I'd driven. Um, so you kind of have to relearn it, um, especially the braking and accelerating or a lot and, and the steering. It's obviously very different using hand controls. Um, and it's still something that I'm still getting used to, like working on being smooth on the brake um, and accelerator. But yeah, it's 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 still a skill that um, I was lucky that I picked it up fairly quick. Um, where you know some people find it a little bit harder, I believe. But um, yeah, it's it's a skill that you got to work on. But it yeah. it wasn't it wasn't too bad straight straight away. I felt pretty comfortable. Yeah. Cool. Now, for disclosure, I know Trent and I've seen him drive. And so people can get a, a picture of what's going on. Uh, what we'll do is we'll put a link to a video that I've done uh, to show all of the process that Trent goes through in regards to driving the controls and so forth that he uses. Uh, but I want, I want to do an extra shout out here to PME. Uh, I mentioned earlier that they've been doing this for years. They've done so much to your car that I think a lot of people would just go, oh, I forgot about that. Little things like little twisters and turners and things to be able to help you do your air conditioning, do your windows, do your sun visor, do all these other extra bits and pieces that um, able-bodied drivers take for granted, being able to reach and grab and, and so forth um, with the C5 uh, injury trend your hand functions uh, affected as well so do you, do you want to talk through just a couple of those little things that they've they've done for us yeah there's yeah like you said there's so many just little things that are taken for granted that they've that they've done um yeah so with my car because like i said in the country driving longer roads um cruise control i can I can use cruise control with I've got a little button next next to my elbow. So when I'm steering without moving my hands, because that's how you steer with a little joystick with your hands, I can just tap a tap a button with my elbow to put the cruise control on. Then there's another button that's connected to a electric sun sun visor. So if the sun's in my eyes, I can just press and hold that and the sun visor goes down. Um, and then you know, in in my headrest, I've got um, indicators to be able to turn them on um, and then even just all their workmanship is is really good I found um, yeah like you said they've engineered little control knobs so I can when I'm not moving I can reach forward and just hit move my um, my air conditioner to turn it up or down um, which I, I probably would have struggled to do without the adaptions um, what else have they done? Just even everything custom, like because um, when I was there, I went there and then we worked out where I can have buttons to put the ramp up and down just to make it like perfectly for me and not just a generic thing that, I was, that they say, yeah, you'll learn how to do this. It's like, where do you need, where do you need this button so that we can, um, so that we can make it easier for you because at the end, end of the day, that's what it's all about. There's no, there's no point in having something that's 96% or 95% suited to you, but then that last 5% makes you not independent. Um, yeah. 
So yeah. I was I was really big on that, which which everything from getting a you know like a chest when I drive, I put a chest strap around myself in my wheelchair just to secure like secure my torso in place because I don't have any upper body control. Um, you know, we, you, you obviously have a seatbelt, but then also just a chest strap, like little things like being able to, you know, come up with a way to put a chest strap on independently or, um, yeah, things like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's amazing. And, and check out the show notes. There is a, we'll put a link in uh, to go and watch you, you drive and all those buttons and, and dials and, and things that you can um, activate, even things like uh, buttons on your wheelchair to make the, the ramp go up and down easily. Yeah. Um, all, all of those things are in the video. So please uh, go to the show notes, click the link to a YouTube video and it'll take you there and, it, and it's well worth the watch. Um, mate, you just mentioned uh, a little bit earlier on when we started talking about this area that it was about seven years from the accident to you started driving. Now you're in South Australia. South Australia have this thing that if you've um, been suspended for more than five years on your license, yeah, you have to start again. Is that what ha happened to you? Yeah, because my license was yeah medically suspended. I had to get my my learners um, and then do um, driving tests, pass the board test, um, which I, I had to wait. It's a bit of a funny funny one because I couldn't, you can't pass your test before, like I can't, I couldn't pass my driving test before I got my car. So I had to go to PME and then they like, do the driving with the OT from Melbourne who contracts with them, Tom. And he virtually said, yes, you will be able to drive. So, you know, he has to say he will be able to get his license, but you need to give him his car before he can get his license, which the NDIS doesn't like, doesn't like doing, which is no. fair enough, makes sense. Um, so once I got my car here, um, after the you know, the massive process to get it converted. Um, then I could got pass my learner's um, test. And then because I'd had my full licence um, previously, I didn't have to do the 75 hours or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah that's what I it is just, in South Australia. Yep. Yeah. So I was lucky. I was lucky in that way that I could go straight back onto my full licence. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. That sounds really good. So, um, I mean, it, it's something that we, you've got to be aware of, I guess, if you are looking for getting back on the road. Um, in different states, they obviously have different requirements of cutting people off and and so on and so forth. So, yeah, um, you have to your your local OT if they know what they're doing, they should be able to help guide you through that area <laughs> for sure. Um, but if not, there there are the local governments that can uh, authorities that can help you out. Mate, when you actually got your license and you were independent driving, what was that like? What was that? What was that first drive like? What were those first moments when you were out on your own again and could go where you wanted? Yeah, it was definitely a good feeling. Um, where did you go? What was, it, what was the first drive you did by yourself? I can't actually remember where I went. Yeah, probably just probably just drive around town or maybe out to my parents' house, Cape Kappa, um, which is, you know, that's 25 k's away. Um, or just 
you know, even just a friend's house, even though they're not very far away, but it's just still about out of reach in a, in a wheelchair. So um, just being able to go might only be three Ks or two, two Ks, whatever it is, just when it's raining or when the weather's bad or just being able to get out and about when you want. It's, um, yeah, it's definitely a, definitely a good feeling of being able to go pick someone up and take them somewhere instead of always having to ask someone to do something. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. That's what mm. makes all the difference. And, uh, you know, I can talk from my point of view. That's, that's why, you know, I do what I do that, that, um, independence that you're talking about, that ability to do what you want. I know Kingston, like whether they can change rapidly there on the coast, it can uh, be sunshiny one minute and then rainy the next. Um, and extremely windy as well. And extremely yeah, windy. Plenty of um, yeah, that's, uh, it must, it must've been a great feeling. And, uh, and uh, what are you the designated driver now? Are you are you yeah, being got, asked by everyone to drive? Or yeah, I've got a few. Uh, I've got a few trips that I've got to drive people around about yeah, you know nice. ten years worth, but that's all right. So <laughs> yeah, slowly, slowly start taking them off. Sounds good. So, what advice would you give for anyone else uh, wanting to sort of give this a go, or struggling with any of this, or thinking about you know driving or sitting there worried about it? Yeah, I think you just got to, you know, you got to start somewhere. You got to just get the ball rolling. Um, because it's such a big process, it can probably be a bit overwhelming on what what to do and how to do it. But you just got to, you got to start, um, you know, getting in contact with with an OT that knows knows the process. And yeah, just start somewhere and then start testing different things and doing, doing a bit of research online, seeing what people with similar disabilities or um are using to drive so yeah that's that's that would be my advice yeah that's good so um if you wanted to know if you haven't if the first time you're tuning into this podcast or you haven't listened to before um i got grilled by ali in episode number 41 so he he grilled me on what an ot does uh so if you want to go back to listen to uh my take on on the ot side of things uh and what what's involved then go back and listen to to 41 there's also a an interview with uh was it jamin is that who it yeah. was ali uh who's jamin. in a, a similar type of scenario in western australia yeah. uh who's in a in a very similar car and and similar controls you can go and search for that uh, um, podcast as well and, and listen to his story if you're wanting a little bit more evidence or or understanding of how the process works because it was slightly different working in uh, living in WA yeah all right that's that's it time's flying it all time has flown like it always does but before we ask our final question to Trent we just uh, want to do another little shout out to our sponsors that make the show possible uh, mobility engineering and Williams OT we've learned a lot in this podcast over the years that cars are way more than just getting from A to B what's a specific memory that you've got i mean you haven't had your license for, for for long but is there a trip that you've done in your car or is there something that you've done in your in your van that's um that nobody else knows about that's really meaningful to you trent um oh, no one really knows about i don't know i think it was do. just doesn't matter what's, what's that sorry or maybe they know about it yeah I, I think it was just 
I think it was just being able to, you know, go out, go and just when I first got the car, just being able to go and go to your friend's house, pick them up, you know, just picked everyone up, went for a drive around, um, didn't really go anywhere specific, but just, you know, being able to being able to do that um, instead of, you know, having to call people to come pick you up and stuff like that. It's yeah, yeah definitely good. And I think it's just those little things that, that, are, that are the best. Blow them away yeah. with all the gadgets. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Everyone's, everyone's always pretty impressed. Mate, yeah. a huge thank you to you. Uh, been a great interview. Uh, I really appreciate that you coming on and sharing it. Like we uh, mentioned halfway through, it is about understanding what other people do and other people in, in a similar situation. Uh, we, we hear that a lot. So that's exactly why we do this podcast is to share people's stories so other people can learn from what, what you've said. So, uh, you know, personally, from my side i really thank you for coming on I, yeah I, thank you very much i know you've no, taken no time problem. out of your day um so yeah it was a great great to have you on um what we will do is we will put a link to that um video on youtube um where yeah. you show all your gadgets in the show notes so make sure you go and check that out listeners um you will put that in every show note whether you're listening on uh on apple music or um whether you're listening on spotify or you're watching this on on youtube uh to start off with make sure you go and press that link trent is there a way that if people really wanted to learn a little bit more that they could get in touch with you or we can share it you know they can get in contact with us and we can share it or if you got an instagram page or something like that where they can go and check you out yeah maybe i'll put my um i'll put my email and uh, Instagram page or something in the show notes too. And um, yeah, cause I can't actually remember what it is off the top of my head, <laughs> my Instagram, but um, yeah, no, we'll track them down there. Um, yeah. And just send me a message or, you know, I'm happy to chat. Um, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, no, that's great. That's great. Now we really thank you again. And uh, guys, what we do in every podcast is Ali and I, go away from this and we're going to come back in a moment and do our top three takeaways from what we've learned from an interview because we're always learning something as well so uh again trent thanks very much for for the interview and everyone else stick around while ali and i do our top three takeaways in just a moment trent cheers yeah no worries thanks for having me see you guys cheers thanks very much see ya all right Okay, welcome back. In this section, we bring our expert analysis and top three takeaways from the interviews that's for this episode. This is where Brad and I provide our more than 30 years of joint experience in the industry, helping people with disabilities to drive and get out in the community in a safe and meaningful way. So we have the three takeaways, Brad. What's the first one? Wait, the first takeaway that we want to highlight is to start somewhere. Trent said that. Trent just said... You just got to start somewhere. Just reach out and ask somebody um, and do some research and just just get the ball rolling. Um, that, that was a great insight. Um, we can be paralysis by analysis sometimes, um, but just starting uh, can can just get the ball rolling and, and it seemed to come together for him. Yeah, like you said, it's a, it's an overwhelming process and we've had that 
common um, feedback by so many people that it is an overwhelming process. Um, so you just got to get into it and just one thing at a time and, and just start, start somewhere. And he mentioned that twice quite distinctly in that interview. So I thought that was a really strong um, message there. And it kind of leads us into our second takeaway, which yep. is about the time. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So um, one thing I noted when we were uh, going through this interview, and I guess there was a common theme that's come up, is you're looking, when you're doing a standard driving control or a standard thing, you're looking at minimum six. Well, I mean, that's, that's a really, really good outcome, six months. But you're looking at like a 12-month period for a standard driving control or a standard kind of access um, thing to get. And when we say 12 months, that's from start to finish to when you start the process to when you get the funding and getting it over the line. And for the and when we say stuff, standard, when we say standard, we're talking about like the the car behind Ali's head. If you're watching this on YouTube, a standard car. Yeah. So we're not vehicle. modifying we're gonna... the car. We're putting in additional things yeah. to the car, but the car's not being cut. It's not being reshaped. It might be a little bit, but the whole structure of the car's not being ripped apart and put back together so that's a yeah. that's what we mean by standard yeah but then we go then we can talk about high end that's a bit of jargon that you hear around this industry a lot you yeah. go standard to high end so what do you mean by high end ellie so the high end vehicles which um the nick tiago and jamin ones also we spoke to about they are the ones where the entire vehicle is cut um, the floor is cut, it's dropped. Um, all of the steering controls are changed to really high-end sophisticated controls, you know, all robotic stuff. It's all, um, you know, lots of robotics, lots of electronics. Um, and yeah, like it's basically like a, they, they, I think they call it space drive or spaceship and things like that, you know, like it's really futuristic type of thing. And that's a really involved process. And it's interesting because um, uh, Trent was saying, you know, it took a long time and it was 24 months. But every other person we've spoken to takes 24 months. So to me, that's not a long time. That's the time that it takes. So rather than, and I guess when, I, when I'm saying that, um, if someone is sitting there having a big cry over two years about the NDIS not wanting to support me and it's taking so long and I'm being screwed over by the NDIS, well, you're not. That's the process. It takes two years. And and it's not, I guess, it's maybe not ideal for some people's timelines no. and families, but it is the process. And like, um, and the best thing you can do is go back to that first lesson and just start and start somewhere so you can get that two get year the ball rolling. Yeah, get the ball rolling and get that two years over and done with, you know. But but that is what it, it is what it is, you know. It's it's a process. You got trials. You got, you know, you're cutting the vehicle up. It's it's a whole whole um, big ball game, you know. So. Yeah. But it leads into our third dot point, Ali, and, and really, is it worth it? And, you know, he he spoke about um, his position in community. Uh, do you want to you want to talk about uh, you? You spoke about um, being an individual to me just as we we're getting ready for this. Do you want to unpack what you mean by? community? Yeah. So it was really interesting. Again, something I was listening to recently. Um, some personal development stuff and, you know, just just some positive stuff. I was talking about how. You know, we're all individuals, but we're also uh, individuals within a community and one doesn't work without the other. Um, and what what uh, Trent was saying there was he wanted his independence and having that independence and not asking people for help all the time and being a burden was really important to him. And I think that's important to everybody. It's individuality and independence is important to all of us. And, and again, 
what he said, which was something I wrote down, which a lot of people, almost, I think almost everybody says to us is that first drive, that first drive is like one of the best feelings they ever have, you know, cause it's like that first bit of independence I got, you know, I got to, and what, what do they do? They all do the same thing. Just go driving around by the block or, or yep. something very simple. And it's the most amazing drive of their life because they're doing it on their own and they didn't have to ask someone, you know, but the thing that he did mention multiple times throughout this thing was how that community was important for him to yeah. get that independence and express his independence. So he needed the footy community. He needed the, um, the parental community, that community got around him to support his independence to be able to flourish. So we are independent, but we do have to have that community around us. Sounds like a game of cricket. Everyone's in there as an individual, but you have to be a part of a team uh, to be able to get the results that you want. And uh and you can see that, you know, everyone says that they want to be independent. They want to have the freedom, but that's the freedom to choose what you can do in your own community and not be restricted to someone else's ideals of what a community is or ideals of what you should be doing here then or anywhere else. But yeah, it's, it makes a massive difference to somebody's life when they able to to get it. And um, like he said, it's about learning from others. And I, I just, he said it, I want to highlight it again. We're very thankful for, for Trent coming on and that's what this podcast is about. So make sure you go and check out a few more episodes. If you want to learn from others, um, we get people to share their story so you can, you can learn from them uh, to get you out and about on the road, but it's also for OTs um, mobility experts who are putting in the modifications into cars as well it's there for all of us to learn from i mean ali you and i learn from every single episode and um yeah it's that's what we do it for so uh make sure that you go and you go and listen on that note we want to do a shout out to our sponsors again so uh mobility engineering and williams ot for to help you bring this to you uh williams ot it um, is a driver assessment and rehab service, and we do all the pieces of the puzzle to assist people with disabilities to reach their driving and community mobility goals. And, and Mobility Engineering is a team of passionate and dedicated people focusing on bringing Australia's largest range of suitable transport solutions for all walks of life. And if you know somebody or would like to be a sponsor of this show, uh, make sure that you reach out and leave us a comment um, or reach out to us via our email, driveablepodcast at gmail.com and hit us up on Facebook page or search the Drive Able Podcast and, and we'll give you more information about how you could sponsor the show. As we say in every episode, the advice that in, in this podcast is general in nature. So if you've got any queries about what can work for you, make sure you get in contact with your local OT or mobility dealer and set yourself up with those trials, just like Trent did, got started somewhere yeah. and set himself up with those trials because trials really do put you in that driver's seat. Yeah, Ali. Thanks very much, Brad. We'll see you Thanks, next mate. Time. Another great interview. So, yep, see you in the next one. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Drive Able Podcast with Brad Williams and Ali Akbarian. If you like what you've heard, make sure you like, rate, and subscribe. It really does make a massive difference. If you or anyone you know would like to share a story about driving with a disability, or you would like to get in contact, find the show notes, or find the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find us on Facebook. Just search at Drive Able Podcast 
for more information.